So we want to, I think all three of us, say a, a really a very warm welcome to all of you. We're delighted that you're here. And we're delighted to be here with you. There's many, many familiar faces, I see. And, you know, truly a welcome back. And I'm sure for many of you, this, this does feel a little bit like homecoming. Homecoming week. I think you have that in America. It is a homecoming week. Um, but some of you are, are new, I know. Uh, some of you are new to IMS and, and possibly new to this retreat. And I truly hope you, you feel welcomed into this community and into this retreat. Um, and also soon feel at home here. Um, we've been doing this for quite a long time now. Um, uh, <laughs> I've almost lost count of the years. 30, something like 31 or 32, something like that. But I feel like every time we gather here, it, it, it's really a significant gathering. Because in, in so many ways, what we've done here over these 31, 32 years is, is to so embed a, a kind of women's community, a women's sangha, a women's retreat here. And it's not like it's, it's a static or not something that we take for granted because we create and we recreate this together every year. And I really want to emphasize this because each one of you, each one of us, plays a part in creating a retreat. Each one of us contributes to the creating of a retreat with our, our sincerity, our silence, our practice, our dedication. A retreat is something that is, that is shaped and formed by the people in it, and it's you. And I am always astonished that every year something so lovely is shaped and so something so lovely is formed. So in many ways, this retreat is a kind of testament to those who've come before. And you are, in a way, almost a testament for yourselves and for those who come after. So we arrive, at least we arrive physically, and I really applaud the efforts so many of you probably have had to make to get here. I know sometimes it's the hardest part of a retreat, is just actually arranging to get here. You know, who's going to feed the cat and water the plants and cover your work and look after the people in your life and... You know, there's a lot to do to make the space to come on a retreat. And then finally we land at least physically. And uh, there's more steps, I think, that happen. There's a transition process that happens for almost our minds, our hearts, to actually land in the same places as our body. And I hope we, we all understand that, that meditation is not anti-thought. Um, it certainly has this path certainly has quite a lot to say about the mind that is prone to obsession and rumination and preoccupation. 
but it also has a lot to say about the wise and skillful use of thought. And this evening, I think, in this first start of a retreat, um, it's good to engage in a little bit of that wise use of thought, a little bit of a reflective time. Uh, you know, the Buddha was once asked, you know, why are your nuns and monks so radiant? And and he answered, because they, they don't lean back into the past, regretting what has gone by. Because they, they don't lean forward into the future, longing and waiting for what is yet to come. And because they're not preoccupied and obsessive in the present, that is why they are so radiant. And in a way, that's the invitation for us. It's an almost an invitation for arriving and an invitation almost to this reflection about what it takes for us to really arrive here fully. And, and I really encourage you, you know, n- not to engage in postponement practice, you know, thinking, you know, what well, day four, you know, I'm going to wake up and finally calm down and, you know, have a day or two here and then it's time to go back to same old, same old. I think a little bit of reflection about just just having the sensitivity inwardly about what am I really busy with right now? that it might be helpful for me to quite consciously acknowledge and quite consciously commit to not being so busy with. You know, it, I'm, you know, we all come from lives where I think many of us can be overextended, you know, a world of expectation, a world of, of needing to do, a world of busyness. And then there's the whole domain of internal busyness. And just a little reflection about what am I busy with right now that I don't actually need to be busy with, you know? And perhaps what would it take for me to really be committed to to uh, not engaging with, not feeding? The other part, I know, you know, I see it so many times of, of women coming into retreats and they're, they're kind of life-fatigued, <laughs> you know, it's just sort of life exhausted, you know. And, and then you kind of sit down and, and you, you sit with yourself and it can feel like a, like a desert, you know. It can feel like the, like the joy and the spaciousness and the kindness and the, the balance can seem so far away. And I would encourage you to really consider it's actually maybe not so far away. And, you know, for us to move towards that, that kind of radiance. Also, what do I, what would be helpful for me, helpful for me to commit to cultivating, to be here that wholeheartedly and to be able to give myself to this moment so freely. You know, I think that the Buddha was a, a genuine pragmatist. You know, he, it was many things, but he was very pragmatic. And, you know, minds 2,600 years ago, certainly when you read the early texts, not quite so radically different than minds today. And the, the Buddha recognized, you know, that it's not an easy journey. It's not an easy journey for us to wake up to, to cultivate the, the depths of compassion and kindness and understanding that is possible for us. He recognized the power of habit, the power of habit. 
And I think we, we probably all recognize the power of habit and the way that habit and wakefulness really don't coexist that well, do they? I mean, try and tie your shoes habitually and mindfully at the same time. You know, try and brush your teeth habitually and mindfully at the same time. It doesn't really, really work. But we can actually appreciate how many, not, not just behavioral habit patterns, but how many psychological and emotional habit patterns get kind of built into our life, our ways of reacting, our ways of dwelling, our, our views. And, you know, they easily get kind of transferred into a meditation retreat, and why would they not? You know, and it's really helpful to be, to be mindful of those patterns, you know, because you'll start to recognize them. You know, if you're a big striver in your life, you know, it's probably likely it's going to kick in here. You know, if you, if you have big ideals of self-perfection in your life, you know, it would be a little bit of a surprise here to see it not arise. You know, if, if we have a, a little bit of sort of lack of confidence in our life, you know, of course, that would transfer over as a habit pattern onto a retreat. So it, it's good to acknowledge that, but to also acknowledge our aspirations. Also to acknowledge our intentions and to acknowledge a retreat can genuinely be a dedicated time of walking new pathways responding in new ways, questioning, investigating, greeting the moment actually with kindness rather than aversion, meeting ourselves with compassion and with gentleness rather than with judgment and blame. It is a tension in waking up and it's not a a negative tension. Uh, last year when I came in to immigration in Logan in Boston, uh, the immigration, the Homeland Security guy looked at my visa, you know, and he says, Insight Meditation Society, he says, you know, it sounds like a really good idea. He says, I could use a few Zen moments, <laughs> you know. And, and, and then he says, but knowing my mind, he says, I'd pretty soon find something to complain about. You know, it might be the weather, it might be the food, it might be my body. You know, and it, 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 I thought, oh, gee, that's a very positive way of thinking, um, hopeful way of thinking. But I, I think for us, you know, in the busiest moments of our life, we probably dream of ending up in a place like this. You know, not needing to perform for anybody not needing to prove anything, you know, not needing to produce. Not, uh, we actually don't really need to do very much, do we? I mean, a 45-minute yogi job once a day for most of us is pretty manageable. It looks, you know, it looks okay, you know. <laughs> but we get to sit around a lot, you know, we get to walk a bit, you know. And we get to do a lot of listening. We get to do a lot of inner listening. And yet even as we land in the place we do dream about, you know, we probably, given the perversity of the mind, you know, we'll find plenty of moments where we imagine there's a better place to be just now. You know, or there's better things to be doing right now. And then those are the moments to remind ourselves of how precious this is and what a gift you are offering yourself. 
and, and the, the preciousness of this time that is really simply dedicated to, to caring for your own well-being, to understanding, to developing, to deepening. In the Satipatthana Sutta, one of the most important discourses on mindfulness in the, in the early text, the, the Buddha says, whether sitting or standing or walking or lying down, establish this mindfulness, this wakefulness. This is the most noble way of being in this world. Because establishing this wakefulness, establishing this mindfulness in this present moment recollection is the starting point for everything. It's where, it's, it's the starting point of the path of compassion, of the path of kindness, of the path of generosity. We learn to establish this most noble way of being in this world. This inclines the heart towards understanding. I mean, you look at the schedule here, and they have this new system now where tomorrow's schedule goes on the board right from the get-go. They used to hide it. I think they, I think they until tomorrow morning, I think they used to think it would scare people off, you know. They'd arrive, and they'd look at the schedule, and they'd see, oh, where are the breaks? You know, and then they'd look more carefully and say, there's no breaks, there's no breaks. And, and I really want you to be really mindful when you look at the schedule, you know, because some people look at it and say, oh, that looks like a lot of work. I would really encourage you, and I'm going to talk about this much more tomorrow night, try to eradicate the word work from your vocabulary this week. This is not work. The Buddha once says, this is a path of happiness leading to the highest happiness. And the highest happiness is peace. That's a joyful effort. That's a joyful effort. The, the, the effort of peacemaking in every moment with whatever you meet in yourself, around you. The effort of peacemaking. This is not work. Because what we do here is in the service of something I think quite profound, of really exploring what it means for us to live a very embodied life, a very wakeful life, a very present life that is possible for each of us. You know, and I often think of meditative pathways as, as being these kind of this twofold element of being both uh, a craft and an art. You know, and in a sense, the craft is really not that complicated about how to practice. You know, it, it's not that complicated. I think the art for most of us is far more challenging. You know, because the art really refers to the kind of qualities of heart we bring, the qualities of heart and mind that we cultivate. I think the art really is this pathway of developing these most ennobling qualities of the heart of generosity, of patience, of forgiveness, of steadiness, of, of, of kindness, of compassion. This is the art. And meditation without the art, only the craft part, I think is just mechanical. It just goes through, through emotions. But the art part, this is our really our dedication, our dedication. And the craft part is almost the form in which that art is really developed. Suddenly, this, this 
path of mindfulness. It's not attitudinally neutral. It's imbued with these ennobling qualities. And they, they teach us and they remind us again and again that we, we engage in what we're doing here over this week, not just for ourselves, but yes, for our own well-being, for our own happiness, for our own understanding. But we also engage in what we're doing here this week for the people that we love, that are dear to us, for also the people that we struggle with, that we feel alienated from. And we do this practice, really, for the many beings that we don't know and may never meet, may never meet. It is a dedicated pathway of knowing, learning what it means to be a very conscious participant in the moment and a conscious participant in, in the world that we live in. And for those of you who are new here, I completely forgot to make introductions. I'm Christina, this is Madeline, and this is Narayan. So, can you hear me back there? Yeah. Okay, so I am so pleased to be here and um, to see all of you here. So many of you, um, you know, are familiar and already beloved. And some of you I just see once a year, and yet there's a kind of a kinship or intimacy um, even with that once a year time. But I also want to echo something that Christina said, that some of you are new to this particular retreat. And when you come into it, you might notice a lot of warmth, you know. And it's not always this way when you come to a retreat here at IMS, seeing groups of people talking and enjoying each other and laughing together and commiserating and, you know, kind of being back in touch with one another after some kind of a gap. So I really want to um, welcome those of you who are here for the first time or who might feel a little bit outside of things or um, a little bit on the periphery. And just to know that even if you feel that way, um, we don't feel that way. And you are so very welcome. I would ask you to just give it a chance and notice if something starts to happen where you do feel connected, you start feeling connected. Christina also mentioned that um, in the suttas, in the discourses of the Buddha, uh, so much is um, so familiar to our minds, our bodies, our hearts. You know, so um, in describing uh, the mind of a of a nun or a, a woman, a yogini, or a man, or whatever it might be. There's this way that we say, ah, you know, that's I can identify with. That's the way my mind is. So it's kind of amusing in a way, and it makes it hard to take things personally if you have an experience and you can find it in the suttas from 
2,600 years ago, you know, it feels a little bit more universal than just my personal problem. And this is such a great um, way to approach this whole thing, is to recognize that it's personal, and at the same time, it's experiential and universal. And so this my problem kind of habit we can have can very gently and with great generosity and compassion begin to dissolve. Although when we read about the mind from so long ago and we can identify with it as being the same, at the same time conditions are so different now than 2,600 years ago. So very different. And you know, meditation centers then seemed to be important. The practice then seemed to be vital and essential. But perhaps now, even more so in a certain way, because of what comes at us, because of an increasing um, noisiness in this world, and um, sometimes it even being hard to find places in the world that are completely dark without there being some artificial light happening. And so being in this kind of natural environment that we're in, we really want to align ourselves with the environment. We really don't want to be out of sync with the environment, out of sync with nature, out of sync with our own Buddha natures, out of sync with who we really are. And to do this, we want to look at the ways that we might easily distract ourselves or move into what seems a lot easier when we find ourselves experiencing anxiety or angst or boredom or any of the heart states that can be experienced and then reaching for a way to alleviate that mental state. Here we are in this extraordinarily precious set of conditions. It's quite rare to find ourselves in a set of conditions totally set up for us to learn how to love more deeply, to understand what it is to be a friend to oneself and a friend to this world, to understand how things work, how the mind works, how there can truly be a greater degree of liberation in our lives. So this, this quite rare and precious, and the coming together of all of us as women in this precious environment, everything is lining up. You know, everything's lined up. All we need to do is cooperate with the conditions that have been set up to help us most. And so, you know, it's a little bit specific in terms of what these conditions are. So I'll start off by talking about cell phones and electronic devices. What we want to do is we're going to put a basket up here on the stairs. And um, it'll be here tomorrow morning, so you can reflect on it tonight. Not to, you know, get preoccupied or worry or, you know, decide yes or no, but just just to um, 
just to reflect on it a little bit tonight, about whether you want to hand your cell phone in tomorrow when you come in for the first sitting at 8.15. Um, there'll be pieces of paper outside, so you can wrap your cell phone up in that piece of paper and put your name on it, so you'll be able to find it at the end. There does seem to be, um, I don't know, whatever the device might be, it seems to be a bit on the seductive side where it's, you know, it's hidden. We always say hide it in your luggage or put it in your car, put it far away. But somehow that doesn't always seem to be enough or am I wrong? (laughs) Right, exactly. It has its own kind of, you know, energy, like calling you, calling you. I mean, sometimes I get a little suspicious about it, thinking that it's all built in. You know, there's there's somebody in there that they've set up to actually call one in not the best of ways. It will be a completely different retreat. This, I, you know, you know some things and you don't know some things. I do know this, and many of you in this room know this as well, because of, you know, having a retreat where you did use your cell phone, and then recognizing the results of that. So it will be a completely different retreat if you use your cell phone or electronic devices, iPad or whatever it is that that you have with you, than if you don't. Almost if you don't do anything other than drop all the technology, something will come to light for you. You know, something naturally, because the conditions are so supportive, will start to flower. You just don't want to avoid yourself. You know, you just don't want to set up an idea within yourself that you can't stand something or that you've got to be dependent on something external rather than over and over again finding peacefulness within your own heart. Now, of course, of course, we can be really responsible for people in our lives, for parents, for children, for partners. You know, everybody has different situations. And so I want to encourage you to go to the office and tomorrow and set up what you need to set up so that if the loved ones in your life need you, you will be available for them and you don't have to worry about um, letting go of your responsibilities, you know, that are very real, that are very real. It's just that, you know, years ago we didn't have cell phones and all of us seemed to be, you know, pretty good with, um, with fulfilling our responsibilities to our loved ones. We've just gotten kind of addicted and used to the convenience of it and, and all of that. So tomorrow, you know, I, I, offered this on a retreat in August, and it was quite beautiful. Um, People came up and just, you know, just bowed. It was very reverent in terms of passing it in. And then so many people at the end said they didn't want their phone back. (laughs) We had to give it back because um, nobody wants them. But... um, you know, it's it, to to let all that go is unbelievably refreshing for your whole body, mind, um, psyche experience. It's very, um, I would say, it's actually quite healing unto itself. So I I want to encourage you to reflect on whether that might be a positive help um, for you. 
included in the support of this retreat is also to avoid unnecessary reading. And you know yourself what is unnecessary reading. After my first retreat, somebody told me that they read War and Peace. And I thought, I was experiencing War and Peace. You know, I really didn't need to read about it. But um, this is not using this precious environment in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a good way. And even in terms of Dharma books, you're going to get a lot of Dharma, you know? You're going to get a lot of guidance and instruction and, you know, hopefully inspiration and all of that. So you don't need anything more. Because there can be this kind of tendency to think, I need more, or I need something I heard in the past. If I just got that Dharmic phrase back, everything would be fine right now. You know, and it's just, it's just not like that. That's the mind that we're used to wanting and craving and clinging just in terms of dharma. But it's the same thing. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's about an ice cream or if it's about dharma. So, um, so avoiding reading, um, avoiding writing. Um, you know, of course, if you really have to remember something and you want to jot a little tiny note down, of course, so that you don't have to remember it all. But, um, but really to, to avoid writing in general. And um, when we do this, it's a way of stepping into something that is not known to us. All of this is known. It's really known. And so when we drop all of this, we're allowing ourselves to step into a very, very different outer atmosphere, which is very conducive to an inner atmosphere as well. And this environment, as you know, is utterly simple. And so we want to meet it with simplicity of heart, with simplicity of being. Christina and I have been here for a couple of days in in meetings, and we met with the staff here at a certain point, and one of the staff members said, um, you know, we're coming up to IMS's 40th anniversary, and this staff person said, why has this community stayed together when so many communities have fallen apart, and um, kind of what's been going on here? And what we spoke about was was that one reason, at least, is because of the beauty of the precepts, of the five precepts, that are so helpful for a foundation of trust and of safety. I mean, it's rare to be in a place where you don't have to be hyper-vigilant about things. And this can be that kind of environment. So I want to redo the five precepts, and if you could just inwardly resolve within yourself to take them on um, for yourself, for your own sake, and also for the sake of contributing to trust and safety and peacefulness here, um, for everybody here, this would be great. So here they are. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to not destroy life and to practice compassionate action. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to only take what is offered to me and to practice generosity. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to protect relationships, and during this retreat, 
to be celibate just for the sake, nothing wrong with sexual energy, great. But during this retreat, celibacy, so that you can be more on your own. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the commitment to speak the truth with kindness and during this retreat to really, really practice silence in terms of not talking. And you do, you know, most of you really are so familiar with outer noble silence, but you do get extra credit for not talking to yourself. (laughs) Because there's a whole lot of talking going on that if that were let go of or relaxed, um, it would be quite a different story within. To relate to the silence not as something harsh or punitive or as if you're erasing yourself. You know, sometimes as children we were told, and maybe even now as adults we're told, sit down and be quiet. And there's something, there's a way in which one feels silenced. But this kind of silence, the silence in a retreat, is beautiful and blissful at a certain point and can really be a true refuge. It's kind of a friendly silence. You know, it's a relaxed silence. And um, it's something that we all, of course, have to cooperate with. Okay, so um, have a wonderful, fruitful Wonderful retreat. So when I first got here today, I walked into IMS. And as I walked up the steps, I saw all kinds of women talking to each other, just like Narayan was saying, and greeting each other. And then I saw staff greeting people who um, maybe hadn't been here before. And then just when I walked into the hall a few minutes ago, I also, there was like this felt sense um, of appreciation, thankfulness, and gratitude. So, so just, I just wanted to say I have so much appreciation, gratitude, and delight in being with all of you and being with Christina and Narayan as well. The Buddha considered gratitude and counting one's blessings to be very important. The Buddha considered the greatest blessings to include places where we can practice and discuss the Dharma. Even greater blessings are to live the Dharma and to understand the truth for ourselves and to realize the end of suffering. Just like Narayan said, we're in a really great environment. A great environment to practice. So in practice, we recognize and open to that inner environment with its changing sensations and feelings, moods, thoughts, emotions, experiences. And as we turn our attention inward, we bring our attention and our intention to the present moment, to the here and now, and our understanding of ourselves, of each other, and of life itself begins to grow. So during this retreat, we'll have the opportunity, we'll have the chance 
to practice more deeply in a continuous way, to open and to learn. As the retreat begins, it can be really helpful to turn our attention inward and to connect with and to open to your aspirations, your motivations, your intentions. So please, I'm going to ask everyone to just take a moment right now and to listen very deeply within, allowing, asking yourself, and carefully aware of what arises. What is my motivation to come onto this retreat? What is my aspiration in life? What is my intention right now? Thank you. So let's begin our retreat together by living the Dharma with just one moment, just one moment of being present, being fully here right now. This practice is truly about being present, just one moment at a time, present with an open-heartedness with whatever is occurring and knowing that from our own direct experience. This week, like Christina was saying, we'll be practicing with a kind, patient, gentle attitude towards ourselves and towards what's ever happening in the moment. Gentleness in our practice really helps us to awaken the heart. It's like remembering something that we've forgotten, this compassion, this openness, this clarity. It is something that we've forgotten. Pema Chodron has a great quote that says, sitting here being gentle with ourselves, we're rediscovering something like a mother reuniting with a lost child. Sitting here being gentle with ourselves, we are rediscovering a way to reunite with our hearts. We are blessed each and every moment. We're awake, we're mindful, we're aware. Whenever the heart and mind is open, receptive, touched by all the changes and the uncertainties of the world, the 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows, there is great happiness on this path. And gratitude, it allows us to meet this life with an open heart. So this week, we can learn or we can remember to be present, to cultivate and nurture an inner quiet and stillness, really to listen deeply, to be receptive, to let life unfold, let it tell us 
Let it reveal itself to us. In this way, we'll understand our lives. I read that the Thai meditation master, Ajahn Chah, said that everything occurs within the heart. In this practice, with mindfulness, we let the heart hold whatever arises within itself. How do we do this? Keep it simple. Stick to the present moment. So wishing everyone the greatest of blessings to live the Dharma, to understand the truth for ourselves, and to realize the end of suffering. May it be so. So I know many of you have traveled quite a bit today to get here and are probably tired. So we're going to end the evening with really just a very, very short sitting period. But if it's helpful for you to to stand up, have a stretch, please take a moment to do so. In some moments, a moment or two, just to settle and to sense what it is to inhabit your body. As the Buddha put it, every moment of inhabiting the body is a moment of present moment wakefulness. And also expanding the field of your attention to to sense the woman on either side of you, in front of you, behind you, all of the women gathered together in this room, inclining the mind towards kindness, compassion, appreciation, Inclining the mind towards receiving kindness, appreciation, compassion. An awareness of our commitment to solitude and our commitment to community. Sensing the life of this body, of all bodies.
sense of embodiment, being present within the body with wakefulness. Sensing the life of your mind, heart, whatever is present just now. The thoughts, the moods, the images. A befriending, a simple knowing. And simplifying. Letting go of the tendency to lean backward into the past or lean forward into the future or be lost in the present. Simply sensing the body sitting, the body listening, the body sensing, the body breathing. whatever benefits are born of our retreat, our practice, may they contribute to our own well-being. May they contribute to the well-being, the happiness, the peace of those we love, those we struggle with, those we don't know. All beings. May all beings be peaceful. Big thank you for your signing up for the yogi jobs and the work periods, the bell ringing. And, you know, I use that quote from the Buddha, whether sitting, standing, walking, or lying down, establishing this present moment, wakefulness, whether working or bell ringing or serving, establishing this present moment, wakefulness. There is nothing left out. 
In couple, there's no early morning sitting tomorrow, uh, no pre-breakfast sitting. I really encourage you to allow yourself to begin to relax, to breathe out, to, you don't have to be in a hurry, to slow down, to allow yourself just to, to settle into this environment, into this retreat over this evening and early morning. Um, and then we'll come together at 8.15 as we do each morning after breakfast for, uh, we will talk some more about the practice and we'll begin a, a day of practice. And I, I hope that you all have a very wonderful retreat um, and that you rest well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.